0: Hello readers, my name is Jason Jefferies and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Yaron Weitzman. He is an award-winning writer for Bleacher Report and a former senior writer for Slam. His new book is Tanking to the Top, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Most Audacious Process in the History of Professional Sports, published by our friends at Hachette Yaron welcome to the program thank you
1: for having me on I appreciate it
0: yeah it's an honor to have you here (laughs) and um Let's approach this chronologically. The Philadelphia 76ers have won three titles in 1955, 1967, and 1983. And I'm realizing that I need to back up and tell our listeners that we are talking about the sport of professional basketball since we are a podcast of a bookstore. Um, <laughs> um, not everyone is ob- as obsessed with the NBA as you I am. You can mean.
1: go like the, uh, was it like the New Yorker style guy, Like the Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> comma of the National Basketball Association Comma, who plays sports, right? We
0: can do that. There you go. Right. Well, you know, we're based in the uh, heart of the North Carolina's research triangle where most people think basketball season ends when one shining moment right. plays at the end <laughs> of the NCAA tournament. Um, but now that we have that settled, the Philadelphia 76ers have won three titles. The last was in 1983 when the Sixers featured Dr. J, Julius Irving, Moses Malone, and future Charlotte Hornet, Earl Curitan. Uh, the next great era of Philadelphia basketball, which followed shortly after this one, featured Charles Barkley, and then Allen Iverson, who was an NBA MVP and the centerpiece of the last Sixers team to make the finals. Can you please tell our listeners um, a little bit about Allen Iverson's tenure with the 76ers, why he was a ticking time bomb, and why the Sixers decided to trade him?
1: Going back to Iverson, I like it. Um, Ever seen is one of the most fascinating, I don't know, important characters in NBA history, right? Um, he was he was he was fantastic. He was small, about six feet, six foot one, um, maybe the best crossover in NBA history. He probably weighed like 170 pounds soaking wet, as they say, for mm-hmm. one of these unbelievably natural athletes. Um, incredible player. He was also, um, he pretty much carried or brought hip hop. I should say brought, but he helped the, turn the NBA into the hip-hop league, right? And he made it, change the image in a way that scared off many around the league and basically went to David Stern, NBA commissioner. He instituted a dress code, pretty much banning cornrows, anything you think of from a stereotypical rap video or anything you think of that a white person would think goes in a rap video. So cornrows, jewelry, baggy clothes, those were banned from NBA press conferences and it was basically the NBA's um, way of trying to appease or make the game feel more comfortable to its white audience and sponsors, right? So Iverson was this fascinating character um, off the court. On the court, he was fantastic, but he was also the kind of guy, he wasn't exactly a team-first guy, um, and he was really hard to build around, and the Sixers had one year where they made the finals with him. Um, But he, from there, they never rediscovered that success, they never matched that success. Um, There were issues with him, he was He wasn't exactly, uh, I was going to say, he wasn't big on practice, as anyone who's a basketball fan knows the uh, famous rant. We're talking about practice. He wasn't a hard worker. He was like hung over to practices, things like that. Um, they ended up trading him. They ended up trading him in 2006. And it's one of the more fascinating fork in the road moments because the idea is they traded him. They knew they had plateaued. Um, and they had a choice. They could either kind of tear the whole thing down, tank, and try to go to the build to the lottery, uh, take advantage of the NBA system that allows bad teams to get good draft picks. Um, or they could try to get some players back and Rebuild on the fly, and instead of tanking, they went for. They got another point guard back, and Andre Miller. They got some young players back, but they got some solid players. Um, they ended up not getting a good draft pick. They went to like number 13th pick that season, um, and from there, I kind of put it. They sentence themselves to about nearly a decade in purgatory. The idea of not good enough to compete for a championship, not bad enough to get a good draft pick. We can get a high. We can get a star who can then help you compete for a championship. And it's really in the NBA. Um, um, the middle is the worst place you can be. It's the mediocrity is the one thing not rewarded by
0: the NBA. Yeah, um, so. I can attest to that as a Charlotte Hornets fan. Um, exactly right. <laughs> right. I wonder. Uh, you know, at the end of Iverson's practice rant, when he said, "How am I supposed to make my teammates better by practicing?" <laughs> I, w- I wonder if he got any uh, insight on that by watching the uh, the last dance. <laughs>
1: It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Um,
0: Well, thank you very much. After Iverson, I would say that the next great Sixers player was probably Andre Iguodala, uh, who was an Olympics MVP, a future NBA Finals MVP for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, They also had Kyle Korver, who was and still is a three-point threat uh, at all times. The Sixers GM at the time became hyper-focused. On this kid that played basketball for the University of Texas, and that kid's name, of course, was Kevin Durant, uh, the Sixers were not able to draft Durant. They ended up with Thaddeus Young. How did this failure to draft Durant eventually lead to King's firing as the GM of the 76ers? Yeah, it's kind of what I was saying before, right? The idea that they never, he couldn't get a superstar. You need a superstar in the NBA.
1: That's the, that's the short answer, right? It's one of the game. No. In those no sports do superstars affect more It's kind of like if you think of The equivalent would be if a Star starting pitcher could play could, could pitch every game right instead of every fifth Or if a quarterback could be on both sides of the field Right basketball is the only sport where you have The superstar play I guess hockey Basketball is the only sport where you have The guy play both sides or all You know he's on defense and offense Um he can have the ball every possession Right like Mike Trout's great but he only comes Back four or five times a game mm. Um completely different so you need super Stars in basketball and Durant. Without missing out on Durant, um, again it was that they sentenced themselves to, to mediocrity. Was, they couldn't. They weren't losing enough games. The team's too good to lose, but not good enough to win.
0: Right, and at the same time, um, something is brewing in Houston, Daryl Morey is attempting to apply analytics to Rockets basketball, much in the way that Bill James and Billy Bean, the GM of uh, Major League Baseball's Oakland Athletics, applied analytics to baseball, as was made famous by Michael Lewis's book, Moneyball, later a film. Uh, what was Morey's approach, and how did Sam Hinkie get involved?
1: Lori's approach was, one, the idea of we don't, you know, let's look at the math of it, right? Like threes are more than two, threes are worth more than two, which sounds really simple, but that was something that was not, you know, prevalent around the NBA, that you should be hunting threes, because, again, three points is more than two points, right? Um, Which sounds revolutionary. Um, So there was that, there was the idea of we don't just do things because it's always been the way we've done them. It's willing to take chances, willing to experiment, and looking at numbers in a way, and it's interesting, right? So the guys who get... Labeled analytics guys And yet a lot of what They were doing Was looking at numbers To turn a guy Like say a Shane Battier in To show his value These guys We always call X-Factors Or intangibles guys And to show no It's not intangibles There are actual numbers And data that show How much a secondary player Like a Shane Battier type Can support Or enhance Or boost a team um, So that's going on there um, Sam Hinkie, Basically his guy From a small town Oklahoma Gets his MBA In Stanford Ends up interning For the Houston Texans, and then get puts his letter, his uh, resume gets noticed by the Houston Rockets president, who hires him because he liked the idea of bringing in somebody who wasn't just a basketball guy, um, and as that's happening, Daryl Morey, the Rockets also bring in Daryl Morey, and Sam Hickey basically becomes Daryl Morey's right-hand man, and the two of them are building a team in a way that no other NBA team has built.
0: Right, thank you, and part of the idea in Houston at the time was that a team needed two stars to win a title. They thought they had this with Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady but it never panned out so they shaped the roster in such a way that they were able to lie in wait for a top 10 player how did they land this top 10 player the Rockets
1: the Rockets, well, so for them, it was the idea, right? So Sam Hinckley, and I guess we'll get to this, he gets labeled as the tanking guy, but mm. it's not that, right? The idea, the way he looked at it, and the way more looked at it, and the way most GMs, I think, look at it now, or a lot of the smarter ones, is it's sort of like reverse engineering. So if you look at a board, right, you have the destination, where we wanna go, that's we wanna be a championship team. Um, how do we get there? We need, how do we, sorry, that, the destination is if we wanna be a championship team, this is where we are. Um, your starting point is your current roster, How do we get from A to B? Uh, For when Tinky came to the Sixers, it was that we need superstars. We have to pull the whole thing down, tear the whole thing down so that we can find a way to get these superstars. And the best way to do so is through the draft. With the Rockets, it was different. The Rockets, the idea was, we already have the superstars, uh, Tracy McGrady, Yao Ming. Why would we tear this whole thing down? Instead, let's go get the Shane Battier types, the supplementary players, and try to build that way.
0: Right. Uh, Thank you so much. And um, now that... Houston has James Harden and uh, Russell Westbrook they have their two superstars. Do you think they're poised to win a title? Um I wouldn't bet on them. But well, first of
1: all in this in this bubble I, I wouldn't bet or I don't even know it's a chaos will rain, right? I don't know. So I have no idea. I have no idea how to prognosticate or predict anything that's gonna happen there. But they certainly I mean that's that's the idea, right? Two superstars and we go from there. So they certainly do they certainly have a shot.
0: Right on, thank you so much. Uh, Listeners, we are going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with your own Weissman. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story. One That supports community Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month Audiobook membership for the price of one Go to LibroFM That's L-I-B-R-O Dot fm and enter bookin b-o-o-k-i-n in the promo code space with each listen take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores i'm back with your own weitzman author of tanking to the top which is published by our friends at hachette all right let's talk about the process uh first let's talk about the concept of tanking um, I'm a huge fan of the band Wilco, and something about the way you wrote about tanking reminded me about their song War on War, uh, which one of the lyrics is just keep saying you have to lose. Um, Before we talk about the process, capital P, can you explain the concept of tanking to our listeners? Yeah, the idea is we're going to... If you've seen the uh, movie Major
1: League, right? That's basically it. Um, The idea we're going to put together a team. We're not going to lose games on purpose, like players aren't going to miss shots on purpose and the coach isn't going to, you know, call plays that wouldn't work on purposely. But the idea is we're going to put a team together that's so bad that they're just not going to be capable of winning. And you do that so you can increase your odds of getting a high draft pick.
0: Right. Um, And... As a lifelong fan, again, of the Charlotte Hornets, uh, going back to the birth of the franchise in 88, I was there for the Bobcats, too. Um, I love Gerald Wallace. Michael Jordan, of course, is the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, and watching the most uh, recent documentary, The Last Dance, that aired on ESPN, I feel like I was provided fresh insight to the decade-plus of mediocrity that I have suffered as a Hornets fan. (laughs) Um, Because when Jordan got injured during his second season in the NBA, he was pissed off that his team, the Chicago Boys was tanking for a draft pick. He believed that losing on purpose was the worst possible sin that one could commit as a professional competitor. NFL coach Herm Edwards preached a similar philosophy, which you allude to in your book. Um... Can you talk for a moment about Michael Jordan, the owner, and other owners like him, um, and tell us why the refusal to tank may ultimately be harmful to your franchise? Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's like a is
1: that the right word, right? It's like, you're, you're putting your ego above the process of trying to build a competitor. And so to be fair, there is something to be said that about losing can can be corrosive and it can, poisonous when it, when it seeps into a franchise, right? And it can Create an atmosphere and it had one of the Sixers in many ways, um, and like the San Hincky's ousting. Um, but especially if you essentially do it for many years, right? But to ignore the system the NBA has set up, the idea that we're going to reward bad teams with a better draft pick would be you know, it's you're just, you're just not playing the game properly, right? You're ignoring the, you're ignoring the landscape, and it's just
0: silly. Right, and um, Sam Hinkie, of course, uh, left the Houston Rockets, took the job as general manager of the 76ers. How did he take tanking to such a new extreme that his particular method of tanking garnered its own nickname?
1: Yeah, he kind of pulled the cover like no, there was no pretend. We've seen teams kind of do this, but they sort of pretend a little bit, right? Like, oh, you know, we're gonna win. We're gonna sign this veteran point guard, this and that. I mean, you took it to new extremes. Like, there was no, there was no pretending. It was we are literally not putting a single veteran on this team. We are gonna trade away our veterans. Um, we are gonna go again. If we're doing it, we're gonna do it right. We're gonna. It's like blackjack. We're gonna increase our odds, right? So, like, why we don't want to win two extra games here or there? Um, we're gonna put together a team that just is not competing. Not only that, like in the draft, we're going have high draft picks, and we're going to use our picks on guys who, oh, Joel Embiid is injured for a year and might be out for two years, we'll take him. We don't mind. Not only we go mine, that means that the next season will be bad and we'll get another high pick. Um... Zario Saric is a player in Turkey, just signed a contract overseas that's going to keep him there for two years. We'll use our draft pick on him, too. What's the rush? We don't care. Um, we're looking down the road. We're going to trade our veteran for more draft picks. We can trade it for a draft pick six years down the line. Um, and because we're willing to trade that far, we can actually find value so we're looking at two different, you know, we're basically operating in two different ecosystems. Um, so that's the kind of thing that we've never seen an NBA an NBA team or GM do before.
0: Right. And um, how. Did the process eventually lead to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons?
1: uh Yeah, they got, I mean, Sid Embiid was injured. They had the number three pick, the Sixers is the number three pick. Embiid got injured in a workout. um He was actually the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going to take him number one. He had what? um Onlookers um, for that workout said was the greatest workout they've ever seen. Um, but that night, they discovered that he had a fracture in his foot and he, missed the, he was going to miss the season. Saying, hey, keep to him. They might, right? We'll take him. We don't care. We don't have pressure to win this season. Um, so we'll get him. Um, Simmons is more basic, right? Simmons, they just had the worst record in the league and they ended up with the top pick. And Simmons was the best player in draft.
0: Yeah, and will he ever learn how to shoot a three? <laughs>
1: It's not William, and to me, the question is: Will he ever feel comfortable and not be worried about shooting? How it looks? (laughs) Excuse me. You know, if you watch him in warmups, it's not it's not beautiful, but he can shoot. He can hit a little bit. He just refuses to do it. Um, And to me, that's the greater question: is why why the refusal? Why is he concerned? So I don't know. I'm I'm dubious. I guess we'll see. I'm dubious.
0: Right. your own last season, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers came really within one shot of uh, probably making it to the NBA finals. Um, what do you think their outlook is for this season in the bubble and maybe, um, more fairly, the season beyond? Um, again, the bubble, I have no idea. I'm intrigued by this lineup change they me that they've put, um, that they've put yes, that they've put um, Simmons at the at forward, and that they are going to start a shooter next to him. I think you know the, the layoff will help them in terms of Simmons and Embiid being healthy, and be has never been healthy for the postseason
1: before. Um, that's going to be a huge difference for them. Um, that being said, I just I don't know if you can win in the playoffs without a go-to half-court scorer who can create from the perimeter. They don't have that. Um, going forward, same question, right? The problem for them is all the tanking was great, and they got two, two superstars and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, but their skills clash, right? The two, their skills clash on the court. They're just, neither of them are shooters. If you have a guy like Ben Simmons, you need a bunch of shooters around him. Joel Embiid's a post-presence. You need a bunch of shooters around him. Um, Simmons wants to play fast. Embiid is better slow when games slow down. Um, it doesn't mean it can't work. The numbers have worked before, but it's always going to the, the Sixers will always have a square pass in a round hole type of feel right Um, and it's going to take some really smart and savvy roster construction and targeting of the proper players to surround those two stars with and i'm not sure we'll ever get there
0: right thank you yaron um do you personally feel like sam hinkey was uh justifiably dismissed or do you think he was chased out of town unfairly
1: uh, both. No, he was justified. Listen, like there were, he he made mistakes. Then there were fireable offenses, and number one of them being that he was told by his bosses to you know alter a few things, um, and he did not. Uh, he refused. Um, so there's that. Um, and the, the part that's unfair is he was very upfront in the beginning about what he was there to do in terms of the teardown. and ownership supported him from the beginning. Ownership. The, the difference was ownership pulling the rug out from under him and deciding, you know, this is not something we're, we're, we're this is not something we are okay with anymore. And that's the part that was basically
0: unfair to him. Right. Thank you so much. And um, finally, uh, I would like to ask about the trouble that you had um, obtaining sources for this book. Um, The 76ers, more than most organizations, probably uh, kind of shut you and probably others out from communicating with anyone within the organization can you tell us about the difficulties you had
1: about the, about the team not wanting to talk to me Yeah, know, it was a ton of fun right mm-hmm. just the sixers I, I don't know why right they just they i was they, they made it clear not only did they not participate in the book um they would call former employees and remind them that the non-disclosure agreements in their buyouts or whatever um applied to reporters writing books, right? Like, they were very, they would go out of their way. Um, You know,
0: people within the team were told not to
1: speak with me. Um, They never spoke, the Sixers wouldn't even answer questions on background until the very, very, very end, like the last week, when I sent them a list anyway. And I guess they realized, oh wait, there's just stuff in here that we should address. Um, And even that was minimal. Um, It was more because they were spooked about a few things. Um, And the ironic part is, right, the book is not a hit job. There's some stuff that's a little critical, but it's not a hit job. there's something about the idea of the process and of Hinky makes them squirmy and they don't like having narratives pulled out of their hands. Um, a good example is like one player who I had a good relationship with. I told him I was doing a book and asked, can we speak for this? And he said, yep, yeah, I'll give you an hour, whatever you need. Um, and then I go to him about a month later and say, hey, can we talk? And he goes, oh yeah, I was told, I can't do any book related interviews.
0: And my employer says, well, oh, I can do about it. Um, so yeah, I would say it was
1: uh, not a fun reporting process, though in a way, you know, it challenges you to go find other ways to, sources and other ways to go about reporting and in doing so, you probably, not you probably, in doing so, I know I stumbled or discovered some anecdotes or things that I would not have discovered otherwise and that made the book, I think,
0: more interesting absolutely I would agree and I'm glad you persevered thank you so much for writing this book it is such a fun book um, especially right now when we're about to kick off the NBA season in the bubble I'm excited I know you are too listeners I've been speaking with your own Weitzman the author of Tanking to the Top the Philadelphia 76ers and the most audacious process in the history of professional sports published by our friends at Hachette you can order Tanking to the Top from WW www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping Yaron, thank you so much for joining me
1: Thanks for having me on
0: Once again, I would like to thank Yaron Weitzman for joining me Copies of taking to the top can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping I would like to thank our sponsor Libro.fm audiobooks please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one month of free audiobooks and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process my name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.